Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes. The uh, ninth chapter of that book, we are dealing with the last section of the book of Ecclesiastes, which has to do with security and God's plan for life under the sun. And the first segment of this has to do with victory in spite of uncertainty. We know not what a day may bring forth. The air conditioner may go out, the organ may sit, no one knows what's going to happen. So, what are we to do? The first thing he does say about this business of the uncertainty of life and which we're involved in the victory that is ours in it has to do with the inability of man. We saw this last week, or two weeks ago really, when I said it. No man has a handle on it all. No man is capable of taking all of the pieces of life and putting them together and developing a correct philosophy and knowing how to interpret in the ways in which man might profitably move through life, being able to take into account all the different varieties of things that might happen. No man is able to do this. The next thing we did notice was the sovereignty of God. It says right there in chapter 9, verse 1, that tremendous statement that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God, are under the control of God. Man does not know, it goes on to say, whether it will be love or hatred, anything awaits him. None of us can predict what the next 24 hours will bring into our lives. None of us can predict what will be our future. We do not know. But we know this. For those who are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that their sins have been washed away in the blood of Christ, and they have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and that they and their deeds are in the control in the hands of God. So many times we'd like to know what tomorrow will bring forth. We try to sit down and calculate it. We get together and we hold conferences to have meetings about it. What's going to be done? How are we going to do this? And how are we going to do that? And what's going to be next week? And what's going to be next year? And so forth. Unless we try to plan. And plan as we will. We cannot take into account all the things. But we know this. That God holds us in our time and our acts in His hands. And He is in perfect control. That's enough.
in the future is as bright as the promises of God and not as dark as circumstances would seem to indicate that they would be. The other thing we have noticed in our study so far is the certainty of death. All men come to the same place, as it says there in verse 3, if you look at it, this is an evil, and all that is done under the sun, that there is one place for all men. Death is certain. Now, I'm well aware of the fact that the, that the Seventh-day Adventists use this passage to try to teach souls sleep and that some other side of teach from this passage that there will be no conscious life after death. Let's remember what we said pointed out to you last week. The context of this book is concerned with life under the sun. And what are you saying in this particular passage concerning death? It says there in verse 5, For the living know that they will die, but the dead do not know anything or have any longer a reward, for their memory is gone. We're talking not about the condition of people who have died after death. What will be the, the condition of their future life? It is not describing that. It is describing their relationship to this present life under the sun. And that when a person dies, his effect upon this life, under the sun is over. His activity, his plans, his schemes, his ability to maneuver things are finished. That is the certainty of death. Now, you and I face this uncertain life. We many uncertainties within it. I remember a story that I heard some time ago of a certain company. They I hired from one of our colleges a young man who was very prominent. He was one of these people with a very high IQ and a, and a great intelligence. And he was hired by this company and trained. They spent several years training this man. They expected him to become one of the chief executives of that company and to lead it into its program. And they expected great things from it, this young man. He was a brilliant young man. They spent literally millions of thousands of dollars training him. Finally, they moved him into the position where they wanted him. And they settled back and said, now we're going to see great things happen in our company. And that morning, he left the driveway of his home and went two blocks, had an accident, and was unable to do anything from that day on. Men planned. They think they know how to plan the future. They think they know how to go about things. But no one knows what's going to take place. No one knows. And you and I are the same way. What's going to happen? Well, he says, man has no ability to know what's going to happen. He says, we are under the sovereign control of God. The one thing we can be certain of is that if time rolls on and Jesus doesn't come back again, we're going to die. Otherwise, we have no uncertainty at all that's going to take place tomorrow. That's going to take place today. I had a very vivid experience of this. In fact, I'm just about to have a conversation with the Lord. I have found recently, as I've been preaching in this text, that God brings a pass in my life certain things that had to do with making sort of a living example of, of the message of this book. 
And, and this week I had one that I'd like to call it off and say, Lord, that's all I could do with the Old Testament prophets. Make them living examples, but uh, <laughs> let's just go down here a little bit because last Saturday, well, not last Saturday, but the week ago Saturday, I washed my car and because uh, I wanted to look pretty when I came to church on Sunday. I thought it would be terrible for the preacher to drive up here in a car as dilapidated as mine, so I washed it and I got it already. And I looked at the thing and I said, wait a minute, I ought to do something about the top of this car. I better go get the dressing for it and put on top of this car. So I walked through the house and I took out porch and what other way I've done this time and again to the to the thirteen years I've been living in this place and, and I stepped off and under that porch and the next thing you know, bang. All of my plans for the last week have been changed. My whole program has been changed. Everything about the way I'm now has been changed. One said, Oh how I wish I could take that step back. <laughs> you never know. See, all I thought I was going to do, I had a well plan. I'd go out in the garage, get the dressing, put it in the car, and take my wife out to dinner, and we'd get ready for Sunday. And one step. You don't know what's going to happen. So what do we do? Notice the beginning of verse 7. Go then. What are we to do? And here he tells us. Five things we ought to do. The responsibility of man as we face the uncertainties of life. You don't know what will happen ten minutes from now. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. How are going to turn in? And by the way, I heard that trip, Secretary at the first service, and it was, it was beautiful, it was rising, it was wonderful. And he went back to that organ and he expected it to go real good. But you don't know what organs to do. <laughs> you think to do. If they got that oil plant, he'd hit the right keys and the right kind of music to come out. That's the plan. But you don't know. Life is too good and Christian. What do you do? Five things. Five things. The first one is in verse 7. Go down. Eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, and here it is, for God has already approved your work. Now you remember that this is one of the major themes of the book of Ecclesiastes. Turn back to chapter 2 and verse 24. And he had completed his first section of this book talking about Solomon's search for life under the sun. What is the correct and best path for life under the sun? And here he gives it to you in chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. It's also I have seen that it is from the hand of God that he can eat and he can have enjoyment without him. The great truth we have seen, the major, one of the major things of his book, is that God has put you on this earth. God has given to us our path, as he told us in the third chapter of this book. We are to fulfill, we are to accomplish that prayer. Now, as we go about the work of accomplishing our path, we are to eat our bread and drink and be careful of heart. God 
It's a pain power. After all, he holds us in his hand. He holds our up and controls our up in his hand. And he says, I've left you on this earth and I want you to accomplish something for me. Go out and do it. And then don't be a sour person again. The idea that Christians are to be quote, sober. Some people think the word sober means power. It's not that. They are very sober. Yes. They are so sober. But you don't want to be any of those neither. God says, no, enjoy it. I have given you a chance to do it with gusto and enjoy that path. And enjoy your life. Because God, because this is the best thing you can do. You don't know what's going to happen in that. Don't sit down and bite your nails and try to decide it all. Go do the task that God has given to you. But enjoy it. And the second thing he tells you is in verse 8. Look at it. He says, let your clothes be white all the time. And let not oil be lacking on your head. The living Bible translates or paraphrases this. Wear, I think it's something like this. Wear nice clothes and put cologne on all the time. Uh, <clears throat> That's why I say, you know, I like the living Bible, but don't use it for a textbook in theology. It misses the point too often. And here is one of the places Solomon's message is far more serious than that. Notice he says here in verse 5, look, in verse 8 there, let your clothes be white all the time. But remember, if you and I, we have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been washed from our sins. And they have been given unto us and put upon us the righteousness of God. And we wear in the eyes of God the white robe of His righteousness. Pastor Lord, God doesn't notice whether your tie matches or not. God doesn't notice whether you're wearing a green, a yellow, a pink, a blue dress, or whatnot. You may be impressed, and you may think other people are impressed with the way you are dressed. God is impressed by one fact. If you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and He looks at you, you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The white robe is the robe of the priest wears as he goes about his daily prayer. And we are priests of God, clothed in this white robe of God's righteousness. And that is our responsibility. Now, notice what he is saying. We are to keep our clothes white all the time. You see, we're living in a dirty world. We're living in a world, we work in offices, we work for companies, we are out in society that does not believe that there's any standard right and wrong. 
They are permitting and permissive now to engage in all kinds of things that are unrighteous, that are ungodly, that are wrong, that are filthy. As you and I who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ go out to walk in this world, we are to see to it that our robes are kept white all the time. Solomon being a poet, he puts it poetically. James being just a rather saying elder of the church of Jerusalem. And in the first chapter of his book, puts it this way, verse 27. Listen to it. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father. Pure and undefiled religion. That is one to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Two, that's the point of the man. to keep oneself unstained by the world. We are working in that office. In that office, they have all kinds of codes, right and wrong. And it's unrighteousness and, and, and things that are, that are ungodly things that are actually are contrary to the word of God. You don't know what tomorrow will bring in your office. You sit there and you wonder, what do I have to do? How must I conform to this office? How must I work in this office? My friend, you are wearing the robe of Christ's righteousness. We're trying to figure out how to do it to the truth concern. Remember that you are wearing the white robe of white righteousness, and you at all times are to act in righteousness and keep your garments from being spotted by the unrighteous deeds of the world. The first thing we point out to us is in that same verse. It says, let not oil be lacking on your head. I've had an experience this week. It's been a very interesting experience. I've had to walk upright. I bend in certain ways, I become aware of it immediately. I'm aware of it in a severe fashion. Now, have you ever tried to walk upright? I discovered that I am not capable of walking upright. Especially when I try to walk straight. And I want to keep this back to you so it doesn't move this way or that. So that I can go just the way so that it stays right at that point and the twins of pain will not come. Boy, what a job. In fact, it's an impossible task. It is an impossible task until we make sure that we have the oil on our head. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. This is talking about the anointing that came to the king as God chose one from the people of Israel and poured the oil upon his head, anointing him. It was a symbol of the fact 
that God was now taking possession of this man, and God was going to empower this man, and God was going to use this man in his work. He separated the priest unto himself. And he had the oil poured out upon the head of the priest, indicating that he, God, was now accepting this man, and God was going to use this man and empower this man. And that priest, and that priest, and perform their work, not in their own strength, not in their own wisdom, not with their own ability, but in the power of God. So it reminds me, it reminds me, as we walk in this life in the midst of uncertainty, we ought to keep our words of righteousness unspotted from the world, but how? We are doing it because we have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. First John says we have received the anointing. The Holy Spirit is living within us. We want to translate this now into the language of the New Testament. He was saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit control you. He was saying, walk in the Holy Spirit. Walk under the control of the Holy Spirit. Don't try to live it in the strength of your own flesh. Don't try to live the life on the strength of your own ability. Don't follow your own opinion or your own way. Or try to hold yourself rigid and to try to do it yourself in your own way. Don't do that. Lean back upon the freeness of the Holy Spirit. Let Him come in and control you. And let Him bear His feet in your life. You will learn how to live in the midst of answers. It makes no difference what tomorrow may bring. It makes no difference what thing will happen, whether it will be a thing of love or a thing of hate. When the Holy Spirit is in control of you, you are able to live it. You are able to cope with the situation. You try to do it on your own. In your own strength, you will not be able to cope. But as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be able to cope. That is the promise of the And then the first thing he gives to us is in verse 9. Look at it. He says, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your sleeping life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life, and in your toil, and which you have labored under the sun. It's very interesting. The King James, the American Standard, and the NIV all translate this word, enjoy life with your life. But in the literal language, it's the word to see. See life with the woman whom you love all the days of your life. And Hebrew tells us that this word see means that we are a true experience the full range of human emotions and passions with the women of our love in this life. The Talmud is, is, is much more rigid because she tears. She tears that you live this life with the women of your love. What is the point of it all? For the point, my friend, is that God set Adam right in the very beginning. Will you turn back to me, to the book of Genesis? Will you look there at that familiar chapter 2 of the book of Genesis? Remember what it says? God created Adam and then he gave a look at Adam. And in verse 18 it says, Then the Lord God said, 
it's not good for man to be alone. He's a good man. I prayed him the way I wanted him. But it's no good for this guy to try to function on his own. It's not good for this man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I will make one who will be able to compliment him, to join with him, to become a team with him, who will be able to work with him and help him to accomplish the task that I have given him on the earth. Now this one is going to be equal, suitable to him. They brought all the animals before Adam, and Adam named them all. But it says down in verse 21, in verse 20 rather, it says, that there was not found a helper suitable for him. And so God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of that place. And the Lord fastened into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. And the man said, loosely translated, Wow. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is my equal. He is of my species. He has my emotions. He has my intelligence. He has my ability. This is bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. That's what God thinks. What are you and I to do in the midst of the uncertainties of life? God says, remember you're a king. You're not alone. Remember and you the see life. You're to see every day of life. You are to see and to meet every experience of life. With the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. There are two things in this verse. You look at them carefully. Look at them carefully. The first is in the first place. Be right with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given you to you under the sun. That's the first thing. Meet every day. Place every day. Be every day. Have your fleeting life of you. With the woman whom you love that's one. The second thing is very important. For this, this woman in your life, this is your reward in life and in your care which you have labored under. This woman has been given to you. This is your reward. This is the one that is going to help you. To accomplish what God wants you to do in this life. 
all you and I to face the uncertainties of life. To remember that we're not alone. We're at peace. We're at peace. We are together. See what we are. The man is there to compliment the woman. And the woman is there to compliment the man. And they are to accomplish the task with God is given to them. Oh, the world wants to change all of it. The world wants to tell the woman, you're supposed to go be with him. And the man, you go be with him. Now, God has made them one. They have this one task that God wants them to accomplish. The woman is to support the man, to help the man, to be the helper of the man, and to accomplish in that task. And God wants it done that way, so you can't do it alone. The thing. Stay together. Love each other. Compliment each other. And accomplish the task that God has given you. It's the only way you're going to do it. I know some of you are saying something else. Oh, yeah. That's wonderful. That's true. But, uh, but what about it when you are alone? What about it when you're blown? When a woman, when God has given to you that it could be used, you know more? Perhaps because of your own sinfulness you blew it. Perhaps it's something you cannot, you cannot control of your own. You blew it. Well, what then? What do you do? You did you that? In that last verse. Look at verse 10. Or look at verse 11. Now. Wherever your hand Find the gift. I have written it down here. Live up to your gifts and abilities. I'd like to change that a little bit. I'd like to put down also live up to your opportunities. Whatever your hand finds to do, barely do it with all your might. Where there is no activity, or training or wisdom in fear or in the grave where you are going. That's not saying that when you die, you're not going to be conscious. That's saying that after you have died, you have no activity, you have no training, you have no wisdom that is going to affect the light under the sun. You're trying, you're talking, you're done when you go to the grave. But between now and then, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You say, I don't have this help me. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Now I just my marriage is messed up and now it's changed its time and I'm married to a different person and said, now what am I to do? Face life with the women of your love. What is in your hands? You can't go back and correct that past, no matter how you try. But take life now as you find it, and that's your do. Do it. With all your mind. How many times as a missionary I've had people come up to me 
and say, oh, what can I do? I've blown it. When I was a young man, God challenged me to be a missionary. And I, and I said no to him. And now I'm so sorry that I did not let God do with me as he wanted to do and make me a missionary. But you see, I've lost the best. I've lost God's best for me. And there's nothing more I can do. Weep, weep, weep. How many times you hear this? I've blown God's best for me. But what are you going to do? Sit down and weep and wail about it for the rest of the time? Yes, you've blown God's best. Now, putting that under the bed of Christ, what in your hands? Do it with all your might. You say, but I, you don't know my situation. You don't know. If you had my job, if you had the pastor assigned to me, you know it wasn't very pleasant and very easy. What can you do about it? Now you're going to sit down and feel the misery of it? You're going to sit down and mope over it? Are you going to recognize that it was in your hand that God has had you in his hand and God has had your ox in his hand and God has put you right where you are and he wants you to do right what you're doing and he says, get busy and do it for all your might. Back of our house, we have a, an ivy that grows up over the garage like this. It's beautiful. Ivy is beautiful, you know that? But really, in glowing shades of colors, takes the glare down and makes the backyard look beautiful. But ivy is also prolific. It grows and grows and grows. Now the one thing I hate is God work. Mm -hmm. I think Pastor Newt Larson indicated that something, I forget what it was he said that they were going to be doing in hell. He's wrong. In hell they're going to be doing God work. I'd come home, and I'd sit, and I'd look at that ivy, and I'd come and bother me, and said, how are you going to cut the ivy? And I said, Lord, it's good. He came back, and he said, oh, so if you leave it, 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 you I squeezed myself. I changed into shirts and another kind of a cotton shirt. It was hot out there. And I went out and I talked a lot of ivy. Boy, I laid back with that stuff. It was tough. I cut away at it. I hacked it all down. And it was no longer bothering anybody. It was in good shape all over the ground. So I had to get in there and start putting it in the barrels and putting it in the boxes and, and putting it in the plastic bags. You know what Ivy does in plastic bags? It pokes out in all different directions. So I had to cut that up and get it down in the right spot. 
I got half the guns on business. I had a green thing that came along and did the rest. Praise the Lord for all that. Now I'm very sorry. My wife's not supposed to listen. I had a boy. Now I won't go home and take care of Ivy anymore if I can help her. I still don't like to work. But I went out there and I worked at it and you know. I soon found myself listening. I soon found myself enjoying it. I soon found, hey, <laughs> even cutting ivy with the strength and the blessing of God is a gift. But your home finds to do. Don't go out of half-heartedly. Don't go out of containment. Don't go out of with fear. Don't go out of saying, oh, I wish it was different. Your home finds to do. Do it! With all your heart. What's your situation? What's your problem that you're in? God knows all about it. He has you under control. He has your acts under control. He is there. And what does he tell you to do? He says, first of all, remember you've got a task to do. Now go and do that task and put yourself to the doing of that task and enjoy that task. And if it's something that you don't particularly like to do, dig in there and go do it with all your might. And the blessing of God will be upon you and your life and what you do. That's the only way. You say, oh, it's too simple. It's too easy. It's too prosaic. You're not saying anything new, preacher. Of course I'm not saying anything new. Because it's a very the truth of reality. If you want to live this life in the midst of all of its uncertainties in the way of victory, remember this. Enjoy your life at your God-given time. Wear your robe of righteousness and keep it unspotted in the wind. Do not lean back on your own strength, but save in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live joyfully with the amazing God has given to you who will help you and remember your team and your task is going to be doing the will of God together to his praise and to his glory. Take up your gift. Take up your ability. And face the opportunities in before you. And go do it with all your might. And the blessing, the greatest blessing that God will bring to any life to become yours as you wait before him day by day. Heavenly Father, make us very real in our hearts. Make us very conscious of this truth. Let us face the reality. Let us surrender to you. Let us stop, O oh Father, demanding the fortunes and the misfortunes and the possibilities of looking around and saying, oh, why isn't it this? Why isn't it that? Let us face the reality of where we are and what is our lives. Let us realize that you are in control of our lives. You hold us in your hand. Let us go and do these five things you've told us to do, knowing that your word never fails. You will do what you challenge us to do. And while every head is bowed, 
with you? And perhaps what I'm saying doesn't mean much to you at all because you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If I was asking if you were on your way to heaven, you wouldn't know it or not. We're asking you, oh my friend, don't you just slip out of your seat and come down as you're singing the sign of him? We are pastors down here who say you had to find Christ. How to know you're saved and know you have eternal life and know that you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and that God has accepted you and God is working in your heart. You'll receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you can come down. Just accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Are you here? We would like to join the body of this church. We welcome you. Slip out of your seat and indicate that fact to us. But if you're a Christian, and you've been living in your life and you don't know just what way to go, you know whether to go this way or that way or what way, but this one thing you do know. You need to walk. You need to walk and keep your robe unspotted in the world. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need His power in your life. Don't you just make a dedication of the sacrament. Once you come back to him in full dedication and surrender right now.